Right now, you can get both Sprint's unlimited plan and the all-new Samsung Galaxy S10 included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and 24-month installment billing. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 a month after $22.50 a month credit. Apply within two bills. If cancel early, remaining amounts due. Unlimited basic after 630 Pay $32 per month per line for five lines with auto-pay data deprioritization during congestion. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. Right now, you can get both Sprint's unlimited plan and the all-new Samsung Galaxy S10 included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and 24-month installment billing. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 a month after $22.50 a month credit. Apply within two bills. If cancel early, remaining amounts due. Unlimited basic after 630 Pay $32 per month per line for five lines with auto-pay data deprioritization during congestion. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. And welcome to this edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. I'm Steven Jodderand, and yes, I'm back. Joining me, as always, are Monkify and Jake Watroba. For today's show, we will follow up on our latest installment of our mini-series on the potential relocation of the Columbus crew, plus give our reactions to the U.S. Men's National Team roster announcement and thoughts on the upcoming friendly versus five-time world champ Brazil and arch-rival Mexico. We will be speaking with former U.S. Men's National Team player and now commentator for FS1, Alexi Lawless, about the U.S. Men's National Team, MLS, the crew, and a lot more. Lastly, Armand Kafai recently wrote an article about the dilemma for MLS coaches regarding how they play their youth. We will look at the different angles to the dilemma and what might be done to get more youth on the pitch. Did want to tell you to follow us on Twitter, UncSamSoccerPod. We always enjoy your feedback, comments, so continue to send them in. You can find the show on any major podcast platform, so go ahead and hit that subscribe. Turn on the notifications because we know you don't want to miss the next episode. And I highly recommend to go listen to the last episode. Jake and Armand did a phenomenal job with the fourth part of the miniseries. They spoke with Andrew Erickson of the Columbus Dispatch, Morgan Hughes, frontman for Save the Crew, and Josh Babeski, who is in charge of MLS in Austin. Anyway, let's get to today's show. Armand and Jake, what's happening? It's been uh, two weeks since I've been on the show. Do you miss me? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I was Cuba. Uh, Cuba was wonderful. It was a different experience. I have to say, I I was desperate, in desperate need of wanting to listen to last week's episode when it came out. I was so excited to to hear it together. You guys did a wonderful job. Hats off, you know. Buy wow. you guys around on it. It was, it was wow. awesome. That that is the nicest thing I think you've ever said to either of us <laughs> in regards to the show. I I, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. And uh, listeners, I want to give you all. Uh, just an idea of how desperate Steven was for like MLS and U.S. soccer information. He called me on FaceTime audio and goes, so what's been happening for the last 
24 hours in the world of MLS and U.S. soccer. I only had I only had Wi-Fi for an hour, so I had to so, make do. I had to catch up. He, he also called me to ask me what was going on in sports and uh, what, what was going on with the Patriots. So I had to give him his uh, Tom Brady update because I know he likes Tom Brady so much. So yeah, well, hashtag Danny Etling should replace Tom Brady. <laughs> We're oh back my for the God. We're not going there. Anyway. 60-yard touchdown run. Where, when has Tom Brady done that in his life? Never, but he's got five Super Bowls. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> let me give you guys my reaction to last week's episode. And I, I don't think you guys did justice to yourselves because you guys kind of limited to how much you actually spoke, you know, between the interviews or before or after. So, come on, spill the, spill the beans, guys. How, how do we feel a week later after doing those interviews with those three different personalities, but different understanding of what's going on regarding the potential relocation of the crew. Well, I mean, it's obviously an emotional affair, right? I mean, you have all these parties involved and they're all like thirsting for an MLS team. I mean, the crew, they want their, they want to keep their team. MLS in Austin wants a team there. It's just, it's such, it's such an interesting dynamic of, this whole relocation thing's a mess, and I think Alexi Lawless said it best uh, in his little uh, halftime spiel. If it's happening, rip the Band-Aid off and just st- stop giving false hope to people because it's not right. And all this time and effort they say the crew's been putting in has been phenomenal. But if it's to, if it's all for something that's already almost done, then it's, it's kind of a tough spot. Yeah, I agree with Armand, too. I mean, I... I think I mentioned this on last week's episode too, either in the open or in our outro. They had Austin has came out with a logo, came out with the colors, came out with the name, and they haven't even MLS hasn't even announced that the crew are going to relocate or they're they are in the uh, I don't even know what, what how would you even phrase it there they're you know the. They haven't even come out and said we are looking to relocate the crew to Austin at the start of the 2019 season or, or something to that effect, you know. And they have they have the logo, they have the colors, they have the name. It's kind of like just a kick right in the right in the crotch to crew fans. I think I think it's disrespectful. I think it's a slap in the face. After, after listening to both sides, and I've I've been on record show. I don't understand why Austin would be under consideration for uh, a club to relocate there after listening to Josh Babetsky after hearing him you know lay out the facts about the city about the market I'm I, 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 I'm I, I'll back off that stance now how about that if we're if we're backing off stances on tonight's show uh, I, I definitely see Austin as a viable now and I knew from you you know Stephen you used to live in Texas Armand you do live in Texas you both have been to Austin, it sounds like, and I think you guys can speak to more of this uh, better than I can, but, I mean, you both say that it makes a ton of sense as a, as a soccer market as well, has a ton of potential. Well, I'll, I'll be honest, Jake. At first, it was just me being, you know, smug and me being a mm-hmm. troll, like, yeah, Austin would be a great city. But the more and more I thought about it, it, it makes sense, and I could see why pre-court, wants to make the move there. And let me remind you, listeners, Precor has had his eye on Austin for a long time. Yeah, yes. Um, it, was in, it was in that you know that famous Austin clause that was announced when he, uh, after he announced the relocation. Um, 
one thing I, I would take away from that is it was just such a it's such an emotional affair for both sides. Um, but like Alexi Lawless said, rip the Band-Aid off. If it's happening, it's happening. I don't it, – it's tough to see anyone – anything stopping it outside of the law. And I think that's what every hashtag Save the Crew fan is banking on right now is, I mean, there's Model Law uh, being talked about right now uh, that will be talked about in court uh, this week. Um I think that's that's the only thing. If that if that if that gets dismissed, then I think the band is gonna be, is gonna be ripped off at that point. There's a logo release, guys. There's a logo for Austin FC released. Jake was talking about it off the record. But there's a logo released. There's tr- the, the they have a nickname L Tree, like the tree, not like T R I. But they have all these things. They have stadium renderations. Uh-huh. They have all these. They're passing out shirts. This is Austin FC stickers, all that stuff. It's it's basically done. If if this model law goes through, okay, then that's the only thing that's gonna stop it. But outside of that, unless owners aren't gonna stop it, you better bank. You better you that if that if that court of law agrees with the city of Columbus, then it'll be over. But MLS is ready. As soon as that as soon as that thing's decided, they're done. Clay Hall had this on Twitter. Breaking, MLS officials took an aerial tour of Columbus last week and signed off on a proposed downtown stadium site and training facility, perhaps old Copper Stadium site. Atlanta owner Arthur Blank said recently he could see soccer uh, in Austin and Columbus. Then Jeff Carlisle had this tweet, statement from MLS via text message, there is no truth to the report that MLS officials took an aerial tour of Columbus last week or signed off on any potential stadium site. Hashtag saved crew. Um, guys, are, are we just confused or what's going on here? I, I, yeah, I'm confused as to, I mean, obviously somebody took that flight. Somebody was touring those, those that area, looking at it for some, for some reason, and I want to I want to get back to what you said about the the model law and, and folding the team. I mean, obviously we are no lawyers here, but I'd have to imagine that there's nothing in the model law that states you can't simply fold a team or contract a team and then just move what whatever is remaining the players, I guess, in this in this uh, circumstance and move them to a new city. At least I don't think there is. I think it just simply states you cannot relocate the franchise to another city. So. To me, it sounds like MLS's option after not being able to relocate is just to simply say, hey, it was a good run, Columbus Crew. We're going to contract you, and we're going to cut a deal with Anthony Precourt. He's going to own our new expansion franchise in Austin called Austin FC. <laughs> uh, they are also called El Tree. Here's their logo. Here's their colors. It's all been set up, and uh, they're going to put a nice bow on it. And I, 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 to me, it's – and I, 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 like I said, it's we're not nightmare. lawyers here, but I, have, I haven't – or any – they get around that law by just contracting the crew and then awarding Austin an expansion franchise. I, I don't know, guys. It is such a baffling situation with conflicting reports and the fact that we know Precourt wants to go to Austin. I mean, he said that we're bringing MLS to Austin. He wants a team in Austin. I think it's – you can't – he's going to get it no matter what um, in terms of – 
what he wants to do. None of this is going to stop him. He's not going to sell. Uh, he's not going to sell the team. Um, he believes he has a great opportunity to make money in Austin. I think MLS. I think in their minds do too. We've heard them. I think Babetsky mentioned it on the podcast um, uh, when he was talking about his uh, blog post. They've been name dropped multiple times. You know, they weren't a team on the expansion list. I wonder why. It's, it's I don't I don't know. Like it's it's such a conflicting situation, Stephen and Jake. It is tough. This whole and this whole helicopter thing just throwing a wrench into things. Like oh wow, now there's a helicopter flying over uh, and there's conflicting information. Like what the hell is going on with this team and like what's gonna happen? At that Modell law, by the way. I misspoke and on the show. I think I said Eric Stover, but I think Mickey Turner also touched on it as well. Uh, they, if that stands, that's massive towards cities, and it has an impact on other sports leagues too. I wonder if MLS is getting pressure from other leagues in, uh, in here in, in the country and in Canada, uh, basically stating, "Don't go through with this." Because we don't want to find out if this law works or not. Because how many times have we heard uh, leagues and teams using potential uh, cities uh, to leverage to leverage cities into getting uh, stadiums? I mean, here in Minnesota, the the NFL and the and the Vikings ownership used Los Angeles just before the Raider or the uh, Rams and the Chargers were moved to LA a couple years ago. The NFL and the Vikings ownership used LA to leverage the state into paying for the uh, U.S. Bank Stadium. I mean, if you, if you get rid of the if, if the model law works and it's constitutional and everything, and, and, and cities put that into motion, every team and every league in this country loses its leverage in getting stadiums built uh, through public funding, and now they certainly can't relocate the team if it's not successful. Okay, but let's not worry about public, you know, funding for the stadium. These owners, uh, at least in the upper class of sports franchises here in American sports, are billionaires. So let let's not cry over you know the fact they don't get funding from. It. Let's put the taxpayer money into I don't you know fixing the crumbling roads that we have. It's a separate discussion altogether. But the but the model law but the model law is interesting because it says you must give a notice of uh, more than six months before you relocate a team and I think they're arguing that Columbus has not so the two the two things in the model law uh, I did my research guys um, is uh, that you need a six month notice before uh, you uh, I guess either announce to leave or leave uh, to the city to the city of Columbus in the states and um, you also need uh, to give an opportunity to local investors uh, to buy the team. Um, How's those that those legal? are two components of the model law. How's that that's, legal? That's the question. Is it legal? That's how can the question. you force that's somebody to figure it out? How do you force? Sorry, you know, how do you force somebody to be like, yeah, well, you have to sell this? Like, isn't it private ownership? Can't they kind of do whatever they want with it? I mean, we're not lawyers. Anyway, uh, <laughs> We let's, talk about soccer. Let's talk about soccer. Let's talk about the off the field ramifications and kind of an ongoing theme here on the show. Do you think people outside of Columbus care? And here is Morgan Hughes on the fan support. Can you talk about the support Save the Crew has received from other MLS fan bases? 
Um, man, I, you know, yes, I can. I think I'll do a terrible job of it because it's been so crazy and, and so massive and, and so worldwide. Uh, I mean, just yesterday I saw this video I retweeted on Twitter of this uh, A-League game in Australia where, you know, like there's some supporter section had this gigantic crowd banner that said save the crew and it had like a picture of Iguain, like Maram, I think, on it or something. It was just like mind-blowing. So, yeah, I can talk about it. But I think that it's just going to be another one of those things that, that we won't really understand the scope of until, you know, the book is written or the 30 for 30 comes out, you know, 20 years from now. But uh, it's been absolutely heart-stoppingly, emotionally overwhelming and and really, like, important and cool and, uh, yeah, emotional, man. Obviously, Morgan is sentimental about the situation. But guys, at any you know MLS game we've been to this past season, how much of an emphasis have you seen on hashtag Save the Crew and just you know voicing support from supporters groups or just fans in general? Jake, what's it like in Minnesota? Uh, I haven't. I'm sure they're there, but I haven't seen any save the crew or you know support of save the crew in terms of banners or scarves or uh flags or whatever i haven't seen them at any minnesota united game like like i said i'm sure they're there somewhere but i mean i'm in the supporter section too with my season tickets and i i just i don't see it i don't i don't hear it you don't hear save the crew chant like that's the other thing too is if these supporters groups that claim they support the the movements so much why hasn't there been like walkouts why hasn't there been organized walkouts tell me that i mean minnesota united the, the supporters groups planned a protest against the beer vendors one <laughs> one game because the beer the, the 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 union workers for the beer vendor were on strike so we didn't buy any i shouldn't say we because i bought whatever beer i so damn well pleased uh <laughs> but the <laughs> Uh, people within the supporters group weren't buying uh, Miller Lite or whatever the hell, they're, they're, whatever the hell the, the the vendor was serving. So if we can organize a protest against the beer vendor, why can't we organize a protest against the league and walk out, say at the the twenty third minute or whatever, whatever it may be? Why why aren't we doing protests like that? Why aren't we seeing more banners? Why aren't we seeing more flags? I get it, the team, the league, they kind of look over all that. Well, then why don't you speak with other means? Why don't you walk out, suck out all the atmosphere out of that arena, make it noticeable? Look, at 5,000 fans or however many sit in these supporter sections just walked out. That would be news. Fans of the Baltimore Orioles years ago did a walkout of the, <laughs> during one of the games because the team was so bad. They got pissed off with the, with the front office and said we're gonna walk out and they planned a walk out of Camden Yards I can't like if baseball fans can do it and those aren't organized supporters groups why the hell can't why the hell can't any of these supporters groups in MLS do that uh, do people care though outside of Columbus do we do do fans genuinely care outside of Columbus do the Philadelphia Union fans care do the Orlando City fans generally care if they suddenly have Austin on their uh, season tickets rather they than got their Columbus. Club from, from, they got their club due to relocation, Orlando City. That's true. Armand? Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know. I, I feel like the, the really – I've said this, really diehard fans care, but 
the guys who kind of just casual fans, I don't think they care. I think the FC Dallas, uh, they do have Save the Crew banners, Save the Crew, all this. I, I wouldn't be surprised they had a really big uh, show uh, next uh, in two weeks and the crew come to Frisco. But I, I think, for example, they, they have this great TIFO. Um, and uh, I feel like I, I would love to get like, a poll around the stadium because it showed, it said, oh, is this a dynamo? And it had a picture of the San Jose Earthquakes. I would love to get a poll around the stadium saying how many of them knew that the San Jose Earthquakes had relocated to Houston. I, I no, genuinely but how many, like to know. How many people actually care that they got relocated to the Houston, as Houston or, or that too, yeah. Or how many did they even know? If they don't know, that proves our theory of the forgive and forget. Yeah, well, they just, well, maybe they're just, you know, didn't know. I, <laughs> no, but Armand, you're correct. You know, forgive or forget. We've seen another American sport franchises get relocated and, yeah, Time passes. Yeah, we kind of forgive and forget. We move on. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a terrible situation uh, for the for Columbus. I guess for Austin, it's a fantastic situation. And I mean, we'll I think we'll see we'll learn a lot more this week with the Model Law being uh, tried in court. And I would love to see the implication. And I want to see if we start seeing reactions from other leagues because there could be something big going on. I agree with Armand. It's a- terrible situation for Columbus crew fans um I don't know if a great situation for Austin fans I don't think they wanted to get a team via uh relocation of some of, a, of another city's club uh but one, one thing I will add to really real, real quick to uh uh on the the Houston Dynamo uh, subject no one cares no one no, no one in Kansas City is pissed off when Houston Dynamo come to town no one in Philadelphia is like man it's these assholes stole the San Jose earthquake. No one cares. No one, no one gives a bleep. Okay. So <laughs> to say that people five years from now are going to go, Oh man, these MFers from Austin, man, they, they took the crew. I'm not, I hate them. I'm not going to the game. Screw MLS. They, they stole a team from Columbus. It's not going to happen. People forgive. People forget. People move on. I don't know if that was the pessimistic Minnesota fan in you, Jake, or the realist. It was. It, <laughs> Well, I like to think my pessimism is realism. So, oh, there you go. Anyway, listeners, uh, at Jake Watrova for any hate mail. Okay, U.S. Men's National Team two friendlies against five-time champ Brazil. We're actually going to call up some big names: uh, Neymar, I believe Coutinho's on that list, as well as Firmino. I think thirteen in total of the 2018 FIFA World Cup roster will be there. Then we're playing Mexico, the arch rivals. Armand, you were really surprised that Reggie Cannon didn't get called up. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the fact that Shaq Moore got called up, and I know he hasn't played games because of a registration issue, but come on. What what, what are we going to do if you're gonna, you're calling up someone that hasn't played a single game, but Reggie Cannon has started every game in MLS and looked really well? Like It's not like Reggie Cannon has like been oh, average. He's been a top two or three right back in MLS I'd say arguably the one of the best the best right back American right back in MLS and you're call- and you're gonna call up Shaq Moore why is is it is it because uh, he's playing on uh, abroad in on a European team uh, I I thought that was a Klinsman thing not a uh, a Sarakan thing I thought it was a really weird uh, a really weird omission and I'd also I think Jake's gonna talk about this but Julian Green why why are we still calling him up 
Like honestly, like he hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't done much, and there, I think there's plenty of options. Uh, you know that if Julian Green's getting called up for all this, uh, I, 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 I don't see why. Just why? Because he scored one goal in 2014 World Cup. Is that why? No, because he scored a goal in a World Cup tune-up in France. Uh, that's why. I thought, no, I don't understand why Julian. We talked. We were talking about this earlier. To make this really quick, I don't understand why Julian Green got called up, and I don't. This roster is weird to me. I don't know if you, if you, Stephen, agree, uh, but there's this mix of young talent, and then there's also this mix of some of the old guard too, which I don't Experience. understand why. But, but but why though? This these two Experience. matches don't matter. Is it is it just so that we can say, hey, we didn't get the dog crap kicked out of us by Brazil? Sarah Ken wants the job full time. So I, I get, think he wants to perform. I think he wants to perform well. well. I think these are starting to affect. I think him being the interim coach is starting to affect the roster decisions that we're having now. That's not good. And some just some numbers. Uh, there are five players eligible for the 2020 Summer Olympics: Tyler Adams, Tyler Adams, Cameron Carter, Vickers, Weston McKinney, Antoine Robinson, and Tim Weah. You have 14 players that are 23 and under. Uh question for you guys two parts is the fact that christian pulisic not named to the roster a big deal yes or no no he's sure. okay i agree okay if he were healthy and he doesn't get called up for whatever reason good or bad sign uh, it's not an issue it's, the, the matches don't matter christian pulisic does not need to play in these games but even christian the fact pulisic, that he's he, played one game in the last six friendlies Christian Pulisic doesn't need to play until either, I don't know what comes first, the next round of qualifiers for 2022 or the Gold Cup. He doesn't need to play until then. So Christian Pulisic can sit out international uh, friendlies until then. I got my my math wrong. It's uh, he's missed six out of seven. So he's played one in the last seven. And Uh, I I agree. I agree. I agree. Spawn with Jake. It's a non-issue until it starts affecting games that actually matter. These are just, these are just games, you know, just to see how the roster pool is doing and to make a little money on the side. Yeah, but Dave Sarakan saying how this is in preparations for the Olympics, Gold Cup, blah blah blah. Dave Sarakan's gonna Dave Sarakan's gonna say that, but it's just an evaluation of the of the roster pool. Dave Sarakan wants to keep this job full time. Like I told y'all, I think he really wants to keep this job full time. Uh, he wants to perform well in these friendlies, and it's gonna come at the cost of some uh, some of the young players that are uh, that probably might not play in some of the friendlies. His job is to be the placeholder. But, I mean, we learned a lot about placeholders, right, Steven? The Bruce <laughs> Arena? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, no, um, I, it is also interesting to note that we are playing Brazil with, you know, 13 players from the World Cup, obviously headlined with Neymar. Then arch rivals Mexico. And I don't know if it was on this show or if it was a conversation I had off, off the uh, air. But, basically, U.S. soccer scheduled a lot of these friendlies just so they could make money. Up next, Alexi Lawless. Does he really need an introduction? It's Alexi Lawless. Go follow him on the Twitter machine at Alexi Lawless. Alexi, how's it going? Gentlemen, uh, it's a pleasure. Greetings. How are we doing? Uh, we are recording this, what, on a, on a Sunday? So uh, a chock-full week of uh, soccer news on and off the field and plenty to talk about. Oh, absolutely. Let's uh, let's just begin with the U.S. men's national team and the roster announcement. What is your mm-hmm. instant reaction to it all? 
Uh, so, so the actual uh, call-ups by Dave Sarek and the interim coach, uh, I'm actually pleasantly surprised. Um, no, not necessarily surprised, because this is kind of what he has done and what he has talked about. Uh, it is a refreshing, young, uh, to a certain extent, inexperienced in that you know some of the more experienced guys are guys like DeAndre Yedlin and, and John Brooks. Uh, but for the most part, it's, I think, go, in line with uh, what I would call the... Um, bathwater theory in that, uh, you know, you kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater and there are certainly some players that while they could be uh, of quality and, and help going forward, you, this is a seminal moment, I think, in, in U.S. men's soccer history in that change needed to happen. Change, I think, is demanded right now, given the failure uh, of not making the World Cup. And more importantly, that change, uh, I, I think, can have dramatic and positive effect because there's a lot of good young talent out there that I just kind of want to see have that ownership and take unto themselves uh, and go forward and say, all right, it's ours now not under uh, my watch. And so whether it's a Pulisic, who I know isn't involved uh, because of injury in this camp, but uh, a Pulisic and uh, Weston McKinney and, you know, Josh Sargent maybe in the future, these types of players that are there and, and some of the players that have been around, but uh, to a certain extent aren't as tainted with the failure as others. Was there anyone, Alexi, that you saw that uh, you thought was, was snubbed and not called up? Well, the, the the Josh Sargent thing, and you know, we're doing the game on Fox next week, the uh, Brazil game, and so mm-hmm. we'll probably be talking about this because there's a lot of attention. He's doing really well right now for the under 23s uh, over in Germany, and I, I got I think that this has a lot to do with the fact that they're going to call him up to the first team uh, over in Germany, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing for him, and it's a good thing for uh, U.S. soccer. And there might have been a um, an understanding that came that because there's this break right now and maybe he gets he, he's better off training with the first team week in and week out if they are indeed going to call him up. So maybe this is uh, lose the battle and win the war when it comes to Josh Sargent, who I think it, and so I don't think he was snubbed necessarily, but I do think if he's going to be part of that that group of players going forward, uh, you should call him in and and they've scheduled some really good games against some good opponents and this is where you really find out even at an early age or, or a rebirth, if you will, over in Columbus, uh, and you know Bobby Wood, who got on this weekend for about 45 minutes. But you know Bobby Wood's done very well with the national team. It almost be, might be a nice little respite for him to come to the national team, where you know he's going to get a little a little more service than certainly he has gotten so far uh, early days here in the Bundesliga. But uh, over the last year, he is he's had to he's been forced to try to do things himself, and that's not what Bobby Wood I think is good at. So and then Zach Steffen and goal I think is the. Uh, um, the number one, uh, you know, the guys like, uh, uh, let's see, uh, you know, uh, Timothy Wea, I think there's going to be a lot of interest in him. Sebastian Lejet gets called back in after a while. So there's going to be a lot of interesting things for us to talk about next week in this game against Brazil. Alexi, uh, you kind of alluded to this in your answer here, but with with the opponents that are coming up here, Brazil, who's, you know, who, who has Neymar, Coutinho, Firmino, and a handful of others that featured in the 2018 World Cup, along with a talented Mexico team that is, you know, our, our arch rival uh, in mm-hmm. CONCACAF, does, do the scorelines to these two matches really matter? Um, look, we always are going to attach significance to what the score is. And at times it can obscure things. At times it can make you look better or worse than the reality actually is. That's, that's okay. That's, uh, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. I think more importantly in the, in the bigger sense is uh, if the U S is going to progress, we want to have a confidence that when we are playing against the elite, because notwithstanding the fact that we didn't qualify for the world cup last, uh, this summer, the fact is that qualifying for a World Cup for the U.S. out of CONCACAF should no longer be seen as an accomplishment. 
it, it is something that is to be expected. And doing well against teams and, and uh, from an international perspective also shouldn't be seen as an accomplishment. Doing well against the elites of the world, that's what's going to drive us to the ultimate goal, which is to win a World Cup. And so the more opportunity we get to play against better competition, the better off it is. And that's why I say they've done a good job of scheduling some good quality, uh, quality opponents. Uh, I think that the score will be important, but more importantly, I think we are going to kind of compartmentalize this team for a while, at least until next summer when the Gold Cup comes, where we're looking at players with an eye to the Olympics. We're looking at players with an eye to, obviously, 2022 and Qatar, and we're, we're going to extrapolate it out. This guy did really well in this type of situation. Think of what he'll be in two or three years from now. Uh, and that's, you know, that's development. That is um, a work in progress, if you will, which is certainly what this team is going to be for the foreseeable future. The other part of the equation, guys, is there's no coach yet. Dave Sarakin <laughs> continues on. Um, you know, Ernie Stewart is now in his job, and you would think that he has an idea of what's going on. And they've talked about wanting to take the time to make the right decision. But this is getting ridiculous at this point. And it, it all points to the fact that they're not going to do anything until after the MLS season, which points to the fact that it's probably going to be an MLS coach. We're talking the likes of Greg Berhalter, which should be fine uh, with me. And considering what's happening in Columbus, and I know you guys want to touch on that a little later, but considering what's happening in Columbus, maybe they just said, you know, with Columbus possibly moving to Austin and then taking Greg Berhalter to the national team, it might just be putting uh, gas on a fire right there. And so they just wanted to hold off until the Columbus crew season is done. And then maybe Greg Berhalter comes in as that coach. I have, I have no inside information, by the way. This is just me uh, guessing and, and trying to read the tea leaves. <laughs> no, absolutely, Alexi. I think a lot of people agree that Berhalter should be. I think Berhalter is number. I think Berhalter is the uh, number number one right now. But do you think I, I said I said a really bold claim, and I think uh, it, it was interesting. Do you think Dave Sarakan potentially uh, could warrant consideration for that uh, job full time? Hot take, hot take alert. Um, no, look, <laughs> it, you know, I think Dave has really come to grips with the fact that he's not going to be the coach. I think he has used this incredibly in that this has padded his resume. I think that this has made people look at him in a in a different way. You know, he, he has been this incredible number two, um, and it's not easy being a number two, especially in the way that he has been used over the years and his his value as that number two. Um, is unquestionable, but he's also kind of pigeonholed himself. And keep in mind that this is, this was originally a, a head coach. Um, so I, I think that he has done a world of good for his reputation. I think there will be people that will really look at what he has done over the past year in what has to be said is a is a really difficult type of situation and almost a no win type of situation, especially when you got guys like me and and everybody talking about how uh, who, who the person is that's going to come in and take your job. I think he has used this to. Um, almost the best effect that he possibly could. And I think he will go on. I don't think he will be involved going forward, regardless of who comes in. And I think he understands that. Uh, but I, I hope uh, that we see Dave Sarakin in a head coaching position uh, going forward, because I think he's shown that he certainly has uh, the ability to do that. And he's certainly come out of that number two position that he uh, put himself in for the last few years. Alexi, I want to move the conversation to the fact that Dempsey, uh, Clint Dempsey retired this past week, mm -hmm. and a lot of the conversation in U.S. soccer has been the Donovan versus Dempsey debate. Now, I think on the field, you can make the argument for you know either player, but what about off the field? Who do you think had a more of a significant impact on U.S. soccer as a whole? 
Oh, it's interesting. So I'm, uh, I'm actually, uh, I just finished writing uh, uh, my State of the Union monologue uh, for my podcast, um, which we record tomorrow. So I'll give you a little a preview of what we're talking about. Obviously, it's a big story in U.S. soccer uh, with Clint Dempsey, a, a true legend when it comes to the game. Uh, very, very different when you compare and contrast him with Landon Dunham. I always said that if I, if I had one game to play in a World Cup, uh, and needed a goal, I would still go with Landon Donovan. But if I needed someone to back me up in a uh, in a bar fight, I'm still going with uh, with Clint Dempsey. Or certainly, if it was a uh, a pickup game, you're going to pick uh, Clint Dempsey. Such different types of both players and personalities. I think that if you're talking off the field, I still think that Landon Donovan did more off the field, and that was by design. Clint Dempsey is stoic. He does not suffer fools. Uh, he has very little time for small talk. Um, very little time for the media, to be quite honest. Uh, and that's, that's fine. That's his decision. But it is, it is, it is in, in a certain way, helped him because it's created this air of mystery around him. But uh, it certainly has not helped us to do our job. And I think from an off-field perspective, uh, given how good he was and given uh, the opportunities that he had, uh, he probably could have done a whole lot more. But, you know, you don't, you don't want to force someone to be something that they are not. And that's... Uh, um, and certainly he has cultivated an image um, because that's what's comfortable for him. And uh, and I got to respect that. And, and to a certain extent, I got to love it. I, it would not surprise me in the least if he just fades off into the sunset, goes fishing and we don't hear from Clint Dempsey. It would it would not surprise me, but it would sadden me because I think he still has a lot to give to the game, especially when it comes to teaching and and talking about how. He uh, he approached the game with a a bravado and a courage and a beautiful arrogance that enabled him to believe that he could do things that others said he couldn't or didn't believe that he could. And maybe that's his greatest legacy and his greatest gift to a, uh, to a generation. Um, Alexi, do, do you think we'll see any, any players that kind of resemble Dempsey? I know you mentioned he was stoic. He had this bravado about him. Do you see any players like that in the, you know, coming up through U.S. soccer? No, I think that in this day and age, uh, they're actually much more near and dear to my heart in the recognition that they are um, in the entertainment business. And maybe, you know, the social media world that exists lends itself much more to having players uh, be much more open and out front and public. Um, and they think they recognize their ability to cultivate a brand at a much earlier age. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I, I I consider thing in that they understand that they are uh, performers and they are entertainers. It doesn't mean that they can't be authentic and genuine and truthful and passionate and competitive in the way that they go about their business. But ultimately, they're going out in front of a, uh, a public in, in a stage, which would be the grass, uh, in front of an audience, which would be the supporters there, people that are paying money to see it. Um, and people are interested in who they are as players on the field, but also who they are as personalities off the field. And um, I don't, so I don't think, I think it's, uh, you're looking at a, it's not a dying breed necessarily, but I think it's a, a breed of player that is going to be few far between. And in that sense, you need that much more uh, wonderful if and when players like that come along. But I just don't see in this generation of players, a lot of players that are more, comfortable with being you know out front but for the most part i think they all recognize that they are performers they are entertainers um and there is a public image and a benefit to having that public image be out there because of their brand alexi 
you cover the Bundesliga for FS1, uh, it, and it seems we've we've seen this trend of a lot of uh, you know MLS uh, academy players going to Germany, and it seems like Germany does value the young American talent more uh, than you see in England or France or or Spain. Why do you think that is? We were talking about this actually on the uh, on the show this morning with uh, Kate Abdo and uh, Jovan Karasku was with me, but I was talking about also with uh, with Ian Joe. I think that there is, and, and I think it's just cultural. Uh, I think the German culture, for whatever reason, I, I don't claim to understand it to that to the to the depths that others do, but I just think that they have an ingrained respect for what America and American players have done, the challenges that they have. And there's also a, a business part of it, too, where they recognize that there is some pretty good talent that they can acquire at a much lower uh, price than other places. Now, they're not going to come with the cachet that other that other uh, nationalities may come with. But ultimately, when it comes to kicking the ball, they can go over there and they can find some players that, especially younger players, that they don't cost a lot, that they can nurture and I think there's just a cultural willingness, much more so than other places, to play younger players, regardless of what nationally, but play younger players. And I think that that just lends itself to um, the American soccer mentality. Maybe it's maybe it's uh, it's it's a parallel uh, or a relative connection and similarity between the German mentality at times, and I'm not talking about all of it, but at times and in certain aspects, and the American mentality when it comes to how we view sports and certainly how we view soccer. The why hasn't the transition happened here in MLS? Uh, Reggie Cannon had mm -hmm. a quote in Armand's story, basically saying that you know in MLS quote I feel like it's we got to get these three points this weekend and it's whatever it's going to make that happen we're going to do it. They may not play the kids that are ready. I think it's hindering some of them and that's why kids are going to Europe. Yeah, yeah, and this is a risk that MLS is willing to take, and it's by. Uh, you know, by their own design um, with the way that they have structured this league. Because, you know, if uh, I believe in a market in that I believe that if you want to have all players from, uh, you know, from different countries and that's your business model when it comes to selling your product that is an MLS team, go for it. I don't even think there should be any restrictions. Uh, so if that's what you want to do, fine. But the opposite side of it is saying, all right, you do do restrictions or you do mandatory, you mandate that teams play a certain amount of minutes or certain and certain uh uh you know domestic players or u.s men's national team eligible players whatever you want to whatever you want to call it uh but i i just don't i don't believe in that um and maybe that goes against development and an opportunity but it is not mls's responsibility to better um the u.s men's national team it is also not necessarily mls's responsibility to be to better soccer now do they want soccer to be better yes but their responsibility is to better major league soccer and they have decided that this is the way to go the other part of this guys is i don't when people talk about youth development it, it, it it's mind-numbing to me i i don't i don't care i don't want to see the finished product and when i'm spending money i don't want to be part of a program that's years long i want to see something now you're going out you're you're once again this is this is entertainment you're going on stage i want to see players that can provide uh, exciting and entertaining moments now. It doesn't mean that they're not going to get better, but I don't want to pay and sit around for watching players uh, develop, especially when I look at other teams and compare and contrast, and they're going out and they're buying ready-made players. Now, um, you know, that 
that's that's just how I look at sports entertainment. And that applies, by the way, to uh, to any sport in any league. But I recognize the importance and the value of having a good developmental academy and having a good pipeline and, and having an integrated system and, uh, and and that kind of stuff when it comes to a league, because you're fostering and nurturing not only the uh, the future stars that you could possibly sell on and make money. So there's a business aspect, but also the ones that are going to score goals and win you games and turn you into that club that you want to be. So I, I get it from both sides, but um, unless they're willing to mandate something, and I think that that would be a mistake, this is the business that MLS has decided, and this is the system, uh, and this is the business template that they have decided to go with. Alexa, I'm, I'm pushed back here because you said something interesting. You said you don't want to watch a product you know, that's not finished. You want the finished product, and MLS is still growing. But then how does the Bundesliga, arguably one of the best leagues in the world, have that image where they play the kids, yet people still watch? Uh, I think that there's, first off, an ingrained uh, history, um, and much more so when it comes to MLS when you're talking about I me. Mean, look, where I, I have uh, Atlanta United on in the background playing against D.C. United. Atlanta United is in its second year of existence. It's going great guns, and, and there's lots of folks. But when, when there is a, a longevity and a history associated with the club, I think it lends itself much more to um, being much more accommodating and accepting of that. Uh, I also think that that when it comes to the Bundesliga, keep in mind that you know, for example, Bayern Munich. Okay, uh, they you could you could theoretically make a case that the other teams are basically the farm teams for Bayern Munich, and so the structure of of uh, of the Bundesliga is very very different in that um, they they have a built-in audience based on history, but they also recognize that they are cultivating assets that appreciate in value, hopefully, if they, if, they are, if they are good. And that's, that's certainly something that can happen from an MLS standpoint, and it's happening more. Uh, but I think that they have to be much more selective as to when they do it. You know, for example, uh, you know, the, uh, the Philadelphia Union, who we talk about uh, with, with young, uh, developing talent. Now, that is their business model in the way that they are doing things. And when you come up with a compare and contrast with other teams, you're going to appear less sexy. And to a, to a certain segment, the development and the ability to see players' development, that is interesting, but not enough people. And if you want mass people to uh, partake in your product, it's really, really hard, I think, to convince them to buy into a program that is years before you actually see something come to fruition. I think that's asking your consumer and your customer to do much more than most, than most teams around the world ask them to do. Uh, and I think when you're talking about a young league, still a relatively young league, less, I think it's a bridge too far when it comes to asking the customer to do that. Alexi, I want to I want to uh, shift gears here uh, to uh, what's going on with the Columbus Crew and down in Austin, Texas. Uh, you uh, last week you you went on a uh, <laughs> I don't know if halftime rant is the right the right thing to call it, but you, you basically went on this uh, you know 30 second minute long monologue about. Uh, MLS hope to both sides of the aisle and, and, and Columbus and Austin and how they should rip the bandaid off and, and, and tell it like it is, whether it's going to, the crew are going to be in Colum uh, Austin next year or if they're going to be in Columbus. Uh, what were, what made you uh, go on that rant? 
Well, I mean, look, I have uh, a, a pulpit, a platform uh, on television, and you know, I want to make sure that uh, that I use it to to good effect. In that, I want to be informative. I want to be entertaining. Uh, you don't have to agree with me. As a matter of fact, many people often disagree with me, and that's okay. Uh, but it, when it, when it comes to Columbus, this is a big story uh, as to what the, what is going to happen with one of these original teams. Uh, it has gotten ugly, but I think whether it's the owners who have allowed this to happen. Uh, certainly, whether it's Anthony Precourt, which I, who I think uh, he and Precourt Sports uh, have mismanaged from a from a public relations standpoint, uh, many many aspects of this. But whether it's them uh, or the or the MLS owners or Don Garber, everybody knew this was going to be messy. Everybody knew that this was going to be complicated, and um, everybody knew that this was going to elicit incredible amounts of passion uh, from uh, from both sides. To be quite to be quite honest, and so I wanted to talk about it. I don't have. Uh, all the answers, but I at least like to to throw out some possibilities. And you know, I talked about uh, I talked about USL and that kind of stuff. Now we're going to find out a whole lot more here in the next uh, week because that um, uh, uh, that ruling, or at least uh, an airing of the grievances, is going to have uh, happen from a legal standpoint. We're going to find out how much or little or if at all the Model uh, Rule applies. And I listened to your uh, your podcast last week. I thought you did a good job and a good balanced job of bringing. Uh, of bringing both sides and getting some of this stuff out. Because, look, as you mentioned, this is 90 seconds on television. It's impossible for me to get all of the details out. And I'm not going to go into the weeds about something that I want to bring as many people into the tent and give them a much, uh, an admittedly, a 30,000-foot type of uh, look at it. But I don't want Columbus to move. But as I said in uh, in my halftime, um, I will fight for the right for somebody who owns a business, if he or she believes that a different location is going to make that business stronger, and by the way, that business is part of a bigger business, and in doing so, they believe that uh, the entire business is going to be stronger, I believe that they should be allowed to do it. Is it is it something that I want to have happen? No. If they can work a, a situation out where everybody's happy and Columbus continues on, uh, that's fine, but I've yet to hear a um, a legitimate uh, solution to this other than just don't move Columbus. Well, that that's 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 not something uh, I think that is constructive going forward. Okay, just sell it. Fine. All right. What are you selling it for? Because when you're selling it, you're not just selling it in 2018 with the let's say the 150 to 200 million dollar range that teams are going right now. You're also selling it with the understanding that Anthony Precourt, who love him or hate him, you have to at least respect the fact that he was shrewd in his business right here, has the opportunity to go to Austin, a place where he believes he's going to have a better business. So you're also going to have to pay him for money that he may lose in the future and potential money. So it gets it, it gets really interesting. And ultimately, as I said, very, very complicated. I don't have I don't have all the answers. I completely sympathize with the folks in Columbus uh, and the predicament that they are in. And and in more importantly, as I said, of the mismanagement at times, cruel and unusual, uh, unusual how they have been treated. I can't empathize because I've never been in that type of situation in terms of the teams that I love possibly moving to a, a, a different market. But I certainly can imagine and so I can sympathize with uh, the situation that exists right there. And uh, I don't think I don't think this ends with anything other than heart when it, from a Columbus standpoint, anything other than heartbreak, uh, sadness, cynicism and scorched earth when it comes to MLS and how it is viewed in Columbus. Now, b- before before you came on, Alexi, we were actually uh, just having a, a little discussion. Uh, we're having a little discussion before you came on, Alexi, about uh, to save uh, the save the crew and Stephen and I and Jake, we we've seen displays of hashtag Save the Crew across the league, but 
uh, there's a consensus among us that uh, that you know leagues forgive and forget. I mean, we saw it with the Seattle Sonics and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, sure, there's some fans that are uh, still upset about that move, probably in Seattle, but I feel like it hasn't had any effect on the NBA in general. Do you think that uh, that it'll be more of a forgive or forget situation, or will it be a lot stronger in this instance? Well, see, so that so that's the, the, the big question. If Anthony Precourt does move his team to Austin, a place that he has wanted to move, obviously, for a long time and believes in it, and, and I can certainly make the case from a, uh, from a business standpoint as to why he has this love affair with, with Austin. But ultimately, I, I, uh, I don't want this. 